Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us and therefore being a part of the wonderful uh, work God is doing through this podcast and radio show. Uh, I am Nick Shalna, and I will not be part of this episode today, the reason being uh, my wife and I just had our first child a few days ago, so we have been busy uh, not sleeping or doing anything besides keeping him alive. So um, that's been fun, but you will get to hear Dr. Woodward interview one of the key figures in his coming to Christ many moons ago, and that is Bill Fay. So I'm sure you'll enjoy this interview as much as we did, and I hope that you have a great week. Welcome to the Universe Next Door, a ministry of the C.S. Lewis Society, based right down here in Tampa Bay in Florida, but ministering across the U.S. and over the uh, expanse of the world, bringing the message of Christ in the powerful language of apologetics. And I'm so excited to have with me a very special friend. I've known him since about the year 1969. That was my the end of my freshman year at Princeton University. And he, a graduate of that same university, was ministering to me as a skeptic. Yes, Tom Woodward, the skeptic, who is trying to oppose any teaching of uh, the Christian truth of creation. And I was clueless about the evidence for Christ. Uh, I'll just put it in that one word summary. So Bill Fay, uh, all the way from uh, Red Lion, I believe it is, in Pennsylvania, welcome to the Universe Next Door. Thank you, Tom. Well, it's great to great have you here with you. I'm looking forward to a great discussion. And I hope you and Laura are doing well. I know that we'll be praying for your current situation. You're uh, battling a, um, a line of cancer, type of cancer, and uh, we're going to be lifting you up in prayer and asking God to do a magnificent work in, in your body and in your life. We pray, of course, that uh, this time together, as we reminisce a little bit about your personal story, would be a powerful um, personal aspect of apologetics that we've brought out many times in the universe next door and in the ministry of the C.S. Lewis Society. We've said that God works in the powerful uh, medium of scripture, but scripture, of course, flows through history, and scripture can be compared to science, and scripture can be tested with the rules of logic or compared with what we've learned from philosophy, and of course, scripture is magnificently seen in personal transformation, and the powerful evidence for Christ and the Christian worldview is expressed ultimately in the lives of those who follow him and serve him today. And you've been serving the Lord, following and, and literally being a witness for Christ for a number of decades. And I was wondering if we could just go back to your own experience of entering Princeton University. Uh, there it was, I think, in the 1960s, and you did not know, you didn't have a personal relationship with Christ. Tell us a bit about what your encounter with Christ was like and how it happened, some of the, some of the steps. Well, when I went off to Princeton University, I was uh, certainly an unbeliever. My sister used to always say that I was carrying a, a six-pack of beer and a girl on each arm. Wow. And that's what, all I was really interested in. 
Um, I was in the chemical engineering uh, school at Princeton. Uh, I had struggled a bit with the engineering part of it, but uh, come along my uh, the end of my junior year, I um, had been having conversations with my grandmother, who was definitely a born again believer in Jesus Christ, and uh, she was trying to um, sort of in a very calm mild way, be a witness herself to me. She would uh, ask me to read the Bible when I came to visit her, read the Bible to her. She'd ask me to pray, but I didn't know how to do that. So she would end up praying. And uh, I knew she was concerned about me. And she ended up giving me a little book on the Sermon on the Mount, just to read. And so for, because she, that's what she wanted me to do, I decided to read the book. And as I read the book and was basically looking at Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, I learned a lot about myself, that there was no way that I could please God. Mm. And uh, so the, the, the bar was set high, but I really didn't know how to get over the bar. And um, during the course of the uh, end of my junior year, uh, I had a roommate who had gotten saved. And he suggested that I go down and visit this elderly gentleman who lived just off campus and uh, that that gentleman would answer a lot of my questions that I had. So I figured, well, that's reasonable. I'll go do that. Hmm. And so uh, I met Dr. Donald B. Fullerton for the first time. And uh, he shared the scriptures with me, showing me from the Old Testament uh, the prophecies concerning Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and how these were all fulfilled in the New Testament. And um, I was certainly under conviction that first uh, afternoon with him. Um, I decided to spend the night there on the campus again and not to go home till the next day went down and saw Dr. Fullerton again that next morning. He explained things more clearly. I was really under conviction and I left him and headed home about a two and a half, three hour trip. And during that time, I know that the spirit of God was working in my heart to convict me that I needed to trust in Christ. So this and, is, this is at the end of your third year, your junior year at, at this point. Yep. yep. And so uh, when I got home, I uh, knelt down by my bed and asked Christ to be the Lord of my life, to forgive my sin. And I trusted in him. Wow. And, um, that summer, I uh, spent a lot of time in the Bible and going to church, which I had never done before, and then was invited to come back to the uh, Princeton campus with the Princeton Evangelical Fellowship, a group that uh, Dr. Fullerton had established there on the campus. And so I got to meet a number of other Christian uh, fellows on the campus, some of whom I'd known before, some of whom I'd known to be Christians before, some of whom I didn't know they were Christians before, but we had good fellowship at a, at a retreat in America's Keswick 
and came back to serve the Lord on the campus. And I got involved in their um, daily prayer meetings, in their Friday evening meetings and one-on-ones with Dr. Fullerton and uh, reading the scriptures just uh, voraciously mm. to find out who God was and what he'd done. Wow. And of course, that would have been like in 1964, 65, if I remember. Yes, I came back 64, graduated in the spring of 65. Wow. The same class as the famous uh, uh, All-American basketball player, Bill Bradley, I, I think. If I right, remember. that's correct. And so you got to see Bill Bradley lead the Tigers to the NCAA Final Four. That was quite a crazy time in the history of, of Princeton. But uh, I, I want to just say that I, I am so excited that God, as it were, not only reached you, but turned you into a missionary. And then you went on to what, Grace Seminary, got an MDiv there. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I was interested in missions at the onset of um becoming a part of the Princeton Evangelical Fellowship, which is now called the Princeton Christian Fellowship. Uh And uh, I wrote a missionary in Thailand and had correspondence with with him uh, concerning the mission field. And uh, by the end of my um, senior year, uh, I was convinced the Lord wanted me to go to seminary to learn more of the scripture and get prepared to be a missionary. And And, so... uh, that was, that was not exactly the plans that my parents had for me, but um, uh, God overruled. And uh, so I went off to uh, Grace Theological Seminary, went on Lake Indiana for uh, three years for the MDiv degree. And then that's where um, the, the story jumps to a different uh, level of uh, relevancy for my life, because when I was engaged in uh, the the kind of opposition, I was pushing back against the teaching of creation, which was happening here and there. Um, Dr. Whitcomb of Grace Seminary would come back to the Princeton campus where he was one of the founders of the modern creation movement, and he actually was reached uh, for the gospel there on the Princeton campus by the same Dr. Fullerton, who um, shared the gospel with you and also shared the gospel with me um, Mm. just a couple years later. So, if I can fast forward to the fall and uh, of, of 68 and the spring of 69, that was my first year at Princeton, and Dr. Fullerton had shared the gospel with me rather um, strongly at a, at a meeting uh, that where I actually attended in December, and, and he, over a period of two days, uh, was hammering the truth of God, and I was kind of openly, and as it were, on, on the surface, was receptive, but down deep. I was pushing back. I made a false profession of faith under him. And when I came back from Christmas break, I told Dr. Fullerton, uh, when he called me for follow-up, I said, I really don't want to see you anymore. And that was a shock to him. But as an existential angst, wave after wave of doubt and uncertainty, what happens when you die? Because I hadn't yet trusted Christ. I heard that there was this young guy on campus who really knew the Bible. His name was Bill Fay. And I said, after Jeffrey Brazer, you may remember him, he would uh, uh, actually had a little uh, cart that he would use to, with his hands to crank around campus, because I think he had um, some paralysis in his legs. But he was meeting in Witherspoon Hall with you, and I, he said, hey, Bill Fay really knows the Bible, you should start meeting with him. And so I reached out, and you became 
my Bible teacher, even though I was not a Christian yet. What memory do you have of that time of trying to pray for this hard nut to crack Tom Woodward? Well, of course, while I was at seminary, I met my wife, Laura, mm -hmm. and we were married the end of our second year and then graduated in 1968 and wanted to become a part of the Unevangelized Fields Mission, now called Cross World. And uh, part of their requirements was to get mentored in a ministry for at least a year. And I chose uh, with Dr. Fullerton's grace and acceptance to come back to the university campus and work under him uh, with the student ministry. And I remember in the fall of that year, as we visited students' rooms on campus to let them know what the Princeton Christian Fellowship was all about, I do remember meeting Tom at one point, and um, I remember that um, he was not interested in the gospel. And I think I remember as we parted at, at his uh, dorm room door that I told him, I said, well, Tom, if God ever works in your heart that you want to talk about the things of Christ, I, I'm living at 24 Moore Street. Just ring me up anytime. I'd be happy to talk with you. Mm. And that's where we left it. And uh, as Tom shared, it, it, was, it was a while before he took me up on that offer. Yeah. Well, I remember it was somewhere late, late January, maybe around the 1st of February, right after final exams. And there was kind of that fall to spring break that took place uh, after final exams. And I, and I began to have, you began to meet with me one-on-one -on -one right there in 221 Witherspoon Hall, um, second entry, second floor. And, I, and you would come to my room. I never did, really did prep. <clears throat> my memory uh, of the Bible is that you pointed out Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and to the Greek as well. And I remember you saying, now, why would... Why would Paul confront the issue of the potential um, ashamed, you know, people might, some people might be ashamed. And I, I just remember sitting there in my chair and thinking, hmm, good question. I don't know what the answer is. And, and you continued to, of course, share your testimony of how you came to faith in that same, you know, campus a few years earlier. And then there was that fateful night um, in May, it was the last week of the semester, and you sensed, I guess, did you sense that I was not to be pushed too much, that just kind of wait and let the fruit ripen or something? Yeah, that you weren't ready. You, <laughs> to push you was not the right, right uh, option at that point, just to pray that when you get ready, you, you'd understand what God's doing in your life, and you'd come and get help. And that's what happened in the first week of May as I went down for the first time that semester. Instead of you coming to Witherspoon, I went to 24 Moore Street right off campus. And that's where in the second floor in that bedroom, that was also a study. Uh, you laid out the gospel. And my memory, of course, is that um, uh, after the gospel became clear and that Christ died for our sins, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12, 10, many other passages, uh, Psalm 22, and you, and you just really laid it out there, a great summary. And I guess I would say that as you were making the powerful case for Christ and a decision for him, I looked at you and I said, do I have to make this decision right here in front of you? And you 
very wisely said, well, no, you, you could make it privately back at your room. You could go to your dorm room. You could even get in the closet if you wanted to. But if you make that decision, please let me know so that I can encourage you and help you in your new path of this journey of faith with Christ. And I looked at you and I said, well, Bill, I, I know I'm going to do it sooner or later. I might as well get it over with now. And, and at that point, I don't know what prayer I may have blurted out, but it was a genuine prayer, unlike the one that I had prayed in front of Dr. Fullerton about four or five months earlier. And I'm so thankful, truly thankful that you were kind and gentle and yet very persuasive through the Holy Spirit, of course. Any, any comment you want to make from, from your memory of that night? Well, I, you're coming down to the house and having the conversation with me was just such an incredible answer to prayer. I was just seventh heaven, I guess, just thanking God for mm. his working in your life. It was just, it was wonderful to be a part of that. Well, thank you for being God's missionary uh, to me on the Princeton campus, which leads us to the next star, a little uh, jump ahead a few years. You, through the Wycliffe translator, the Bible translator training, were prepared to go to the, and I, I don't know if I have, the, is it the the, the tribe that, spe- that spoke the Ngalum language? That's right. We, we prepared at uh, SIL's um, uh, university summer program up in uh, North Dakota. Hmm. And then uh, when we left for the mission field in February of, of uh, 1970, um, we... Uh, were stationed at a place called Kiwi, and it was part of the Ngalum tribe. Um, they, they can pronounce an NG at the beginning of the word as well as we pronounce an NG at the end of the word like sing or song, but we don't usually start words with NG, but that was their language and their group, hmm. the Ngalum tribe. About 10,000 speakers, and they'd had missionaries there for almost 10 years before we got there. And so there were some believers. Wow. And, and that's in, is it Irian Jaya? Well, we, yeah, it was Irian Jaya then. Now it's called Papua. It's part of Indonesia. Okay. The big island of New Guinea, but just the um, western half mm-hmm. of the island of New Guinea. Yes. Okay. So you're there on the the huge island just north of Australia, known for Stone Age tribes and and languages which have never been written down. And of course, um, Unevangelized Fields Mission, now Cross World, has worked there, uh, I know, for many years. I don't know if they still have missionaries there, but you were there for how many years? And and, and if you could just also with that, just uh, describe what happened to this guy, Babcon who I and my friends at Dallas Seminary were praying for as we, we read your letters. Yes, well, my main ministry um, there was to get the language down well enough to begin translating scripture and then to form a Bible school to train men to be teachers and pastors. And um, so uh, I began doing some translation work um, one of the first, well, the first work that I'd had actually published was the book of Ruth and the book of Daniel taken wow. together, which may seem like an odd combination, but uh, the translators wanted me to do something that was narrative, which would be Ruth, 
and then tackle something that was much more um, visionary, like the book of Daniel, although it also has narrative in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we formed the, uh, the Bible Institute uh, with about 20 young men who wanted to train um, and to be trained to be pastors. And some of them had already been pastors, but hadn't received much training. Mm. And uh, during that time, uh, obviously, we continued to witness to those in the Ngalung tribe who were not yet believers. And um, one of the uh, days that I remember my wife and I hiking up to a village and going around looking for people. It didn't seem like anybody was there. And then all of a sudden this older man hopped out of his hut. And uh, I tried to introduce myself to him, but he was very agitated. And uh, he was pointing his finger at me and saying, why have you come here? Why did you take our potato garden, which was now our airstrip? And why did you steal the hearts of my two sons? And uh, he was uh, very definitely not in a friendly mood at that time. Hmm. So uh, I took to heart what he said. We returned. And uh, I talked to his two sons, who I figured out who they were. And um, they, they told me that their father, Bapkon, or Apobok, was actually the head witch doctor of the whole Alum tribe. Hmm. Uh, he could go anywhere, do anything. And the people basically obey him in fear. Mm. And um, I asked, well, could, would it be possible to have a conversation with him? Do you think he would be willing to come? And he, they said, well, we'll try. We'll ask him to come down and have a meal with you. And I said, okay, let's try and do that. And um, he, uh, he came down and, and listened to the gospel. We were working through Mark at that time. And so was explaining the gospel to him and he'd come down for a period of time in the evenings and then go home and then come back the next evening. He was faithful as clockwork to come and listen. Mm. And uh, one day he, uh, he came down and was bringing a little pig with him. And he said, um, you've told us about Jesus and how he could heal people and I'm bringing you this little pig because I want you to heal this pig. Oh my goodness. (laughs) And uh, I'd really never been asked a question like that before, but uh, we recognize that for him, this, this was a, a real issue. This was a real crisis of faith in his life that if he could see God work in the life of that pig, it would really move him along in terms of faith in Christ. Well, I prayed for a pig, and the, and the piglet survived well, and Bob Cohn came back down and made a definite commitment to Christ. What I hadn't known is he had been talking to all the older men in his village every night when he went back anyway and telling them what I'd told him. So he'd already been in some sense, a missionary before he was saved. Then he and about 80 other older men in the tribe got baptized and uh, really changed the whole tenor of the tribe's outlook toward Christ. Wow. 
Well, that is a fantastic story. I think I need to just have you back on, Bill, to tell us more stories about Appelbach and Bobcon, the foreign, former name, of course. So right. I'm going to just close in prayer for you and Laura and uh, just ask God to bless you. Lord, we thank you for Bill Fay and for Laura and for the family. We pray for your hand upon him, that you would just strengthen him in his battle with this cancerous invader. Lord, give grace, encouragement, strength, and the presence of Christ in every part of Bill's life and his body and his future. Thank you for him. Thank you for Laura. Thank you for their ministry. In Christ's name, amen. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.